Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is The Guardian. So the journalists are there for that little scrap. It might not be much, but it might just be a little lead or a little tidbit that you can follow up. And the, the leaders are doing it not because they like journalists and want to socialise with journalists, they're doing it because they're trying to soften you up. I mean, both sides have an agenda here. Hello, lovely Potters. You're on Australian Politics. I'm Catherine Murphy, and with me this week... Daniel Hurst, Josh Butler, Paul Carp, Sarah Martin. And, and we are answering your campaign questions. questions. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. We are a bit worried that we sound like the Wiggles. But anyway, the point of these discussions during the campaign is exactly as advertised. We are answering your campaign questions. Uh, there'll be different groupings of us on different weeks. Uh, and I just up front want to thank everybody for the quality of the questions. Every time we do these episodes, I'm blown away by what comes in. So without further ado, we're going to start and Sarah's going to kick us off, I think, with this discussion. So Different variations, same question. Marcus asks, I think one of the pressing issues or questions will be about Albo's first day gaff, and will it make any significant difference in six weeks' time? Uh, then Stephen's version of this is, is it your experience that the effect of the, of the campaign overcomes what happens in the periods in between, i.e. periods in government, right? So it's sort of, you know, mistakes and missteps in campaigns more important than the three years that precede it. Um, Mal Padgett's version of this question is a little bit sharper. <laughs> What's more important, the previous nine years of coalition incompetence in government or Albo's electioneering competence? That's his version of it. And then uh, Fabian, this is a sort of a media process question, which we'll all get into. Um, the media just reports breathlessly on the thing of the last 24 hours, usually confected nonsense. Is this unavoidable? Is there a way we can get broader reporting on polit political issues of substance during election campaigns? So, Sarah, why don't we just break that oh, down? Boy. Yes. <laughs> it's a lot. Okay. It's a lot, but, there's a, but they're all there good questions, right? Yeah, they're all very good questions. I think, I think firstly and most importantly in, answers, in answer to Mal's question, absolutely the... Um, you know, the performance of the government over the past nine years and the substance of that is far more important than um, Albo's electioneering competence. But, and there's a big but there, um, 
this, I guess, Albo's electioneering competence it, it may determine whether or not Labor forms government. So in many ways, it's 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 just as important because um, if you want to get rid of an incompetent government, you need to have a competent opposition and someone who can actually win an election campaign. Mm. Um, mm. So I think as much as um, many people would like this to not be important, um, it was a slip up and it was a bad slip up. Um, and it was a terrible opening to Labor's campaign. Um, I guess the uh, the biggest problem with it is uh, is and a lot. I know a lot of people just say it's a terrible gotcha question. Um, everyone should move along and pretend it never happened. But um, it, it was important, I think, for a number of reasons. One, they were very important key economic indicators when you're campaigning on jobs uh, uh, and wage growth, etc., um, and cost of living pressures. They're you know, you should know them. You should you should 100% know them if you want to be leader of the country. Um, whether it was a brain fade, whatever it was, it was um, it was an unfortunate error. I guess the other part of that is we have spent much of the last three years going very hard on the government for a number of things, um, and as has the Labor Party, and rightly so. Um, you know. I don't think anyone would suggest that most of the journalists in the press gallery, and particularly not in our office, have gone soft on Scott Morrison. So part of the, I guess, the flip side to that is as Labor has very successfully turned the screws on the government and drawn the public's attention to their failings, um, there hasn't been a lot of opportunity for Albanese to really, um, I guess, get himself match fit mm. in terms of answering difficult questions from the media. And that's what we're going to get every day in the campaign. Mm -hmm. It's sort of a, a tricky one because it, it is important and it isn't important. It, it is important because um, it, it, it may influence voters who are just tuning in to the contest. Um, don't underestimate the level of disengagement um, among people who for the past three years have been, you know, obviously enduring a, enduring a pandemic. Yeah but also um, living their lives and not paying much attention to politics. So the thing that has penetrated is Scott Morrison's, you know, unpopular. We know mm. that. Mm. But at the moment, the government is trying to frame this as a, as a, as a, a choice um, with consequences, not a referendum on the past nine years. So um, if people are tuning in and looking at that choice, Albanese really needs to be putting on his you know, his best show right now. Um, whether or not it makes any difference in six weeks' time, we'll see how the campaign goes. But um, it might, it might, with with some people who are just tuning in. Mm. So, um, but, you know, it's we've still got 37 Ages. days to go. Ages. Yes, but who's counting? <laughs> I, yes, Paul. I would say that it takes a, a long time for people's impression of politicians to be baked in. And we've all just come back from um, touring marginal seats. And in Western Australia, people's baked in um, negative impression of Morrison goes back a long way to the bushfires, to, to going to Hawaii, to being missing in action uh, or trying to thwart the, the premiers uh, in an earlier stage of the COVID pandemic. Mm -hmm. With the WA border, yep. so it takes a long time for their impression uh, to be baked in. But in in Albo's misstep, I think the concern is if the gaff reinforces a pre-existing uh, impression that people have, and for Albo, some of the negatives that people 
mention are like his his speech uh, as uh, uh, increasing their you, perception you of mean, his weakness. You mean the way he the way the way he the way he speaks the way he speaks. Yeah. And so to have uh, gaffes, if you stick your tongue out, if you say uh, to indicate that you've made an error. As unfair as it might seem, that can confirm an impression of weakness in, in some people. Um, and the other thing is uh, the uh, w- what I think is a fiction, but many people think you know labor is necessarily worse on the economy, and so it can play into in, into that impression that voters have. It is only one day; they they shouldn't panic. If every day of the campaign was like that, then you know yes, that could, that's something that could lose you the election. But if he can pick up his performance from there, it's not the end of the world, mm. even if it is a really bad day. And what about this point about? Um I mean, obviously, Albanese's stumble was triggered by a question, obviously. He didn't just walk in there and just say, hi, everyone, I don't know what the unemployment rate is, right? So that goes to the point of the way elections are reported and the way people conduct themselves in these daily press conferences. Daniel, Josh, what are your thoughts about the opening week of the campaign? I mean, obviously, we've all, we're all on social media, we all live in communities. There'll be a live seminar about how people have conducted themselves, out us, how we've conducted ourselves. What do you think about the opening week? The thing that's really interesting for me is like for weeks or for months, Albanese's been saying, I'm match fit, I'm ready to go. Like he was like goading Scott Morrison to call the election in that sort of like interregnum period where like there was sort of nothing happening in the last couple of weeks. And on the first day of the first week of the presser, of the, of the campaign, I mean, like he had this big stumble and Sarah sort of touched on it a bit um, in, in her, in, in what she said, like he didn't really hold that many press conferences down here in Canberra. Mm, that's he true. didn't really yeah. expose himself to the scrutiny of the, you know, specialist politics reporters. Like, you know, he did a lot of press conferences and he made this big, uh, you know, value of saying, oh, I do press conferences every day. I've done a press conference almost every day since January or whatever. Mm. But they've often been in, you know, short little presses like out in like regional areas or in the cities where there aren't the specialist politics reporters that can like, you know, snap the unemployment number out of the air or, you know, know all the facts and figures. Like he didn't really expose himself to the press and not to say like the press gallery are the best reporters, but like he didn't expose himself to that glare that he's now getting yeah. every yeah, single that, day. That daily um, thing. that he's now having to cop. And I mean like I think today, you know, on, on Thursday, like he was seen a bit more assured and yesterday was a bit more assured and that sort of thing as well. But like he hasn't really put himself out there that much and, you know, he keeps saying he's match fit. I mean, you know, to borrow a different sort of sporting metaphor, maybe it's like the sprinter who comes to the blocks and, and stumbles out of the blocks as the gun goes off sort of mm. thing. Like he's got a mm. bit of a way to catch up now. Yeah. Daniel? I, I think it looked bad on TV that first day. Um, it used to be the be-all and end-all of campaigns, how it came across on the TV news each night. I'm not so sure. Uh, I think that's possibly diminishing slightly, but, mm. I mean, we'll, we'll yeah. see. It used to it's be like what point. it would look like on the TV news that night. I think there's a lot of other channels being used now to get the message across and narrow casting and so on. Um, I think it was a one-day story. Uh, it pressed on to the next day. Um, I think that went on a bit too much. But, um, you know, it was important. Mm. Okay. Just, can I just quickly say something about Josh's point? Please. Um, yeah. One thing that struck me today when Morrison was talking about um, uh, the boat policy, turn-back policy, and he was talking about, you know, him being the architect of that and whatnot, I, it just sort of struck me that you know, this guy for has for a ve- quite a number of years had the blowtorches turned on him. Like he is very used to media act like going him day in, day out. Like I think you can't underestimate that experience in a campaign. Like he, you know, 
even though he's got journalists asking him hard questions, and we saw today, particularly with the Integrity Commission, people were going pretty hard at him, and rightly so, but he is so used to that. He is so used to that level of intensity, and I don't think Albo is. I think it's also, in a funny way, you know, forgive me sort of injecting an element of the human condition into this conversation because (laughs) we all think of uh, professional politics as being this sort of robotic presentation or, or art form or, or capacity, right, that uh, because we're so used to this message discipline in modern, modern politics where people just stand up and say whatever the hell the message is regardless of what comes in, right, um, I think there are observable temperamental differences between Scott Morrison and Anthony Albanese that have been very, uh, that, that this first week have kind of really exposed. And I don't mean that in the sense of the political arguments that they're running, like because both of them, Albanese and, and Morrison, are saying, we're not like each other, vote for me, right, in different ways. But I think uh, it's sort of, to Sarah's point, that Scott Morrison is a machine. He is a campaign machine in terms of that concept of campaigner's message war, right? He just goes out there like a tractor in low gear. doesn't matter what hits him. Boom, he's going, right? And that's, I don't know, there's an extraordinary level of confidence that sits behind behind that. Well, did you see the, um, sorry to interrupt, no, no, the, go. the body language expert today in the tabloids oh, was saying <laughs> oh, I miss Albo this. looked a little bit nervous and Morrison's body language is that he's a, he's like about to eat someone alive. No, well, that's the thing. It's the difference. And it's sort of like we, we because you sort of think, you know, it's all, it's all so staged, like personalities and quirks and stuff make no difference because it's all kind of mechanised. But anyway, it's just a bit of whimsy, which I won't bore anybody with any longer. I just think it's interesting. We've seen two different characters in, in a lot of sort of ways, I think, in the first week of the campaign. Now, Paul, you're going to lead us on the next two. We've got a question from Jeremy Cowan. Um, what do you think the significance of having uh, Pauline Hanson's One Nation and UAP candidates running in every lower house seat across Australia this time? What's the significance of that? Is there any sense of how much uh, support their campaigns will have this time around, which obviously opens up a conversation for us about what's going to, you know, the whole sort of other vote in this election and the, and the implications of it. And then from Jack Jones, we're going to get to ICAC, which uh, we all mentioned a minute ago, uh, you know, where is it and why isn't it here? So, Paul, let's let's do others. Well, I think it guarantees uh, that there will be a home for the protest vote, not only in your Senate vote, but also in, in the lower house. Um, and Palmer United Party did do that last time, did field candidates everywhere last time and spent, you know, $70 billion on the campaign and no one got elected in the Senate or the House. So it doesn't guarantee that anyone's going to get elected, but it does guarantee that both those parties will be around Australia. Those two parties run very different campaigns. I mean, the United Australia Party is prepared to spend big, you know, the advertising is everywhere on TV and YouTube. And so their candidates um, benefit from that. One Nation has uh, more of a ground up type model where the candidates are expected to pitch in, uh, you know, a few thousand dollars to pay for their own core flutes and all the rest of it uh, in in an effort that ends up helping the Senate ticket a a lot more than them personally. So those two parties run very different types of campaigns. What sort of impact they'll have 
well, there is very high disaffection at the moment because of, you know, the pandemic. Uh, in some states, very extensive mandates forcing people to get vaccinated if they wanted to keep their job. Uh, in other places like Sydney and Melbourne, extensive lockdowns um, uh, to beat coronavirus. So w- we are expecting that in, in parts, in some regions and in, and in Sydney and Melbourne, uh, in heavily locked down, you know, double-digit r- returns for, for, for the Palmer United Party. Party and you know in parts of in Queensland, yep. double digit for, uh, for for one nation. So they are going to be a force to be reckoned with. What remains to be seen is what those voters then do with their preferences. Yeah, because you know Palmer's out there threatening to go against every um, incumbent MP to you know just try and f- flip every seat uh, as a as a way to protest. You know there there might be preference deals that don't direct your vote, but do encourage people to vote a particular way. And, you know, when I was in WA, I met lots of people who hated vaccine mandates who said they weren't going to vote for either Albanese or Scott Morrison. They just weren't going to fill in the whole ballot, even though they know that's what you have to do to pass to, to cast a valid vote. So I think there could be a big informal protest vote mm. as well. Yeah, just on that point that you make there, Paul, about the preferences, like the, I think UAP's almost said that they definitely will preference against every sitting member and put Labor and Liberal and the Greens last. The One Nation started talking about that as well. I've just mm. seen One Nation just mm. start talking about that similar thing. They haven't kind of made it quite as uh, clear or like explicit as Clive Palmer has, but they've started talking about the same thing as well, um, which would be really interesting to see what those results look like. Um, you know, in some of those areas like you know, Western Sydney that had those big lockdowns. I think, you, as as Paul, you know, touched on, like you will see some good results out there for for UAP. Like I'm not sure what One Nation will look like, but One Nation, I think, is sort of almost being crowded out of that conversation by the UAP and One Nation sort of running. Like Pauline Hanson has talked heaps in the last couple of days about the anti um, the, the the trans women in sport bill, for yes, instance. Like yes. they're sort of going towards those more like. You know, like UAP seems to just be running solely on vaccines and lockdowns at the moment and some vague stuff about we'll bring Australia back to prosperity or whatever. But like, and, and fix your home loan. All, rates all, all or, these sort all of like just stuff, strange yeah. grab bag of things. Yeah, buy yeah, submarines off the shelf from the USA. <laughs> but like, One Nation's now going into this, like, I think even deeper sort of culture war, you know, hard right liberal stuff. So I'd be interested to see how much traction yeah, that gets. Yeah, that is very interesting. Again, based on my travels, Northwest Tasmania. The person off this list is Jackie Lambie and her preferences. Um, honestly, I think she will be critical in northwest Tasmania in terms of determining those two very marginal seats, Bass and Braddon. Um, and uh, Labor certainly wants her preferences and if and if it's successful in attracting them, that might be the difference actually in those two seats. Anyway, ICAC, where is it, guys? Oh God! Go on, Paul. Where is the ICAC? Where is it? Uh, well, Scott Morrison uh, has broken his promise from the 2019 election to to introduce one. Uh, he he developed a model that no one liked, and then didn't even introduce the bill. Uh, to Parliament in in this most recent term, and he's blaming Labor for that, saying if he can't get bipartisan support, he won't introduce it. And the the latest update is this week he said that, you know, he's not even committed to do it in the in the next term. And journos were really sticking it to him today, saying, what, even if you win a majority, even if you could pass it without Labor support, you're not committing to do it. And he just says it needs to be bipartisan. So he's he's found a way to to 
claim to support an integrity commission and never do very much about it. Yeah, exactly. So the you know the short answer to the question: Where's the Where's the ICAG if Scott Morrison wins? Nowhere. Which is, I mean, it's pretty extraordinary if you just, you know, we go back a bit and remember that it was former Attorney General Christian Porter who had one round of consultations on this. There was an exposure draft released. Um, Michalia Cash then had another round of negotiations and consultations on this. Um, there was a revised bill taken to Cabinet. Um, cash was rolled and because Morrison and others in Cabinet didn't like some elements of the revised yeah. bill and then it was shelved. So, you know, a lot of time has gone into a bill that no one is happy with and um, won't go anywhere. Yeah. And in the process, I mean, Morrison, it's basically set up and he set up an alibi for inaction on this. Um, and, you know, institutions matter, accountability matters. Uh, basically, in the process, he's happy to to undermine undermine trust in New South Wales uh, body, the ICAC. The kangaroo court. Yeah, mm. kangaroo court, as he calls it. Um, it's just, you know, I think this might be a sleeper issue. It's certainly not the top issue for voters necessarily at the current time, but I think the sort of, it's a bad look to be backing away from, well, basically having broken an election promise and also not committing to do it in the next mm. term. Well, it doesn't look good and these sorts of bodies are important in raising trust in our politics. Beautifully landed. Josh, you're up. So we have a question um, from Wendy Bacon, which is sort of one of the questions of the week in terms of media process. And I'm just uh, saying to listeners, whenever we do these episodes, there is always a, a load of media process questions. We'll always try to get to a couple of them, uh, but we also need to focus on other issues, but we this is important, so we'll discuss it. Wendy Bacon, who's a journalist, journalism academic, asks how do Guardian reporters see politicians supplied drinks events? This relates to um, some controversy this week about reporters drinking after hours with the campaigns. And then we've got two questions on Alan Tudge, the <laughs> Schrodinger's minister. Um, so uh, from the first from Danielle, uh, the PM says the Tudge affair is a private matter. But can he actually find out about this settlement if he mm. wants? So that's the first question. Sure. Second is, and related, why is the taxpayer footing the bill for Tudge and uh, why isn't, well, why isn't the mainstream media media process talking more about this? How can he possibly be uh, still a cabinet minister? How can he possibly stand for re-election? So let's do drinks first. All right. Well, the drink, I guess the first one to say is like, obviously we're all in Canberra and none of us are on the bus and I don't think any of our colleagues are on the bus this week um, from the from the Guardian. Um it, it is a really interesting question. It does bring up a lot of, I guess, sort of the, the, the bare bones, like basic ethical things about journalism and like the closeness in which, especially, I guess, in this unique sort of politics role in Parliament House, like we do have very close contact and exposure to other journalists and politicians and staffers and people working in politics and that sort of thing. Um I've only travelled on one campaign in 2019. Um, I travelled on the buses of Bill Shorten and Scott Morrison. And um, I, I'm thinking back at ne at, on neither of those buses, I think, were there supplied drinks um, with the Prime Minister or the Opposition Leader. But um, it's my understanding that, you know, at, at these events this week, and I'm happy to be corrected if, if anyone out there was at these events, but I wasn't, um, I only heard from people who were there that, the Labor and Liberal parties put on drinks. Albanese had a drinks event with journalists on the Monday night, which was, I, I thought, quite interesting right after he'd had this big gaffe and there was all this talk about, all oh, the media is being mean to Albo. Like, he had a drink with them, you know, six hours later. Um, and then Morrison on Tuesday night did a similar thing that, that, that was the subject of this TikTok video that, that went on all the news. Um, it, it is really interesting and and there is like, there's that line that you draw. I mean, I talked to a lot of journalists this week who 
sort of fobbed it off and said, oh, you know, I, I wouldn't be influenced by a free schooner and a, and a handshake with the Prime Minister. Um, and, you know, I, I think most journalists would say that, probably all journalists would say that, but it's not just, you know, you know, the, the actual bias that you can be shown to be having. I think a lot of it, especially in like the world now where there is so much like focus on accountability, mm. not just in politics but in media. And, and like you say, if we're getting all these process questions each week, obviously it's, I think, a big issue of interest for a lot of people. Like it's not just the actual bias. I think it's like the appearance of bias as well. Yep. Um, you know, I've been to events like this, not on the campaign buses, but, you know, other events. I mean, they have drinks events at Christmas and what have you and, you know, Labor and Liberals supply the drinks and, and people go to them. I've been to other events where I've decided not to take the free drinks and pay for your own drinks at the bar. I mean, everyone has their own line that you, that you draw. Um, I don't know what the, the best answer to this question is. I think it's one of those lines that you have to draw for yourself ethically as a journalist each way. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I was, I was really interested by the conversation that's kicked off this week about mm -hmm. how, how widely people were just surprised by this. Um, I, I, I mean, hypothetically, I wonder how, how the, you know, reaction on social media would have been if, say, in, in that TikTok video we swap out Scott Morrison and put yep. Anthony Albanese and if people would have been quite as um, upset or enraged or, you know, blown away that, the opposition leaders hold, holding drinks for journalists um, rather than the PM. But um, that's not to say, you know, all both sides do it. I'm, I'm not trying to both sides here, but um, I, I, that's just a thought exercise. No, 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 it's, it's an interesting thought exercise too. What, what do the rest of us think about all this? They oh. also sometimes su supply lollies on the bus. <laughs> Putting <laughs> that's, it out there. That's true, Measly actually. Bars. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bars, lollies. Bus, apparently, yeah. Yeah, I remember actually one day on the campaign in 2007, yes, I am that old, um, uh, being on the Rudd bus and uh, Therese Rain appeared with like the, the most massive crate of fish and chips I've ever seen, <laughs> like somewhere on, $2, I don't know. $2 of chips. Yeah, basically, yeah, it was, it was quite so. Anyway, sorry, back to, back to, back to focusing about the, the ethics of this, Paul. You have a thought? Oh, I was just going to say that there are all these other ways that um, politicians shower uh, journalists with favour and giving them uh, drops uh, in terms, you know, exclusive access to information that others don't don't have ahead of time, uh, and you know all this effort that journalists go into to cultivate uh, close relationships uh, with politicians. That the the outrage. Is very interesting because it's it's like you know a, a drink at a bar is like the, the tip of the iceberg of um, you know how close the political and media class are. Mm -hmm. it, it almost seems bizarre to be um, concerned about that, but I do agree with Josh in terms of the appearance of bias and just the the symbolism. It's like yeah, sure, it's only it's only a few schooners, but then it's also only a few schooners for you to pay for your own damn drink. So <laughs> like, well, why sell out for such a small for, for such a small well, thing. Yeah, exactly. I can see Daniel Limbring well, up. Well, just, just that it's, you know, part of journalism is to try to get information and part of that is is um, <laughs> building contacts and part of that is, you know, meeting with people in these sorts of events. But I think norms are changing. I think there used to be a lot more alcohol, actually, I gather, mm -hmm. uh, in, you know, on election campaigns or in terms of how politics and media was mm, done. certainly but true. I think norms are changing. It's becoming more important for journalists to be accountable to their to their audiences as well. And I think, you know, it, it the, the reason this has had some traction online is because it overlays with this view that political reporting um, can sometimes be too focused on um, process type things uh, rather than, you know, 
accountability journalism and rather than sort of substantive policy issues. Yeah, it's can, sort can, of, can I say one more thing? Of course. Like Paul says, like obviously we all go out and network and we have coffees with people and we, you know, whatever. I think there is a slightly different aspect when it's in the middle of a campaign. Like if, if you're travelling on the bus every day with Scott Morrison or Anthony Albanese or whoever it is, like you're having that constant exposure all day long and like it is a really weird environment in that you're with these people 24 hours a day and like obviously like the reporters aren't, you know, shooting the shit with Albo on the bus 24 hours a day but like you're, you know, crossing paths at the hotel or whatever. I think it is a bit different in the campaign when it's like, you know, getting to use a sporting metaphor again it's like game time like it's it's a bit different I think that I've been sort of struggling with this all week but I think it is a bit different when it's campaign time yeah I think they're trying to build a sort of a a sort of loyalty that that makes it harder to then really dig the knife in or you you or if you do have a a tough line of questioning that they object to that you maybe subconsciously the journalists will you know entertain um, their criticism of that slightly more than they would you know if they didn't feel like that they they had a, a relationship of any sort with you, yeah, um, and it, you know it's a bit like someone tying a little bracelet around your uh, around your wrist in order to try and uh, sell you something in, in a marketplace. It's like you know the, the monetary value of it is nothing, but it's like does, is it a, is it a foot in the door of of, of like op- starting a conversation yeah. about trying to influence your work? No, well, of course it's, it is. It's well, I mean, of course, it's yes. like that's exactly what they're trying to do. Yeah, um, but I you know I think. If we're talking about the transactional law nature of journalism and politics and the sort of symbiosis, which, you know, I know, like, it it does exist, um, there's always a calculation to be made. So, you know, the journalists are there in the hope that they might get a little scrap, a little crumb of information that might be a story from an advisor or from talking to the politician themselves or, you know, you've got to remember there's an entourage travelling with these leaders as well. So the journalists are there for that little scrap. It might not be much, but it might just be a little lead or a little tidbit that you can follow up. And the the leaders are doing it not because they like journalists and want to socialise with journalists. They're doing it because they're trying to soften you up. I mean, both sides have an agenda here. Yeah. Oh, well, beautifully expressed. And um, I just should use this interlude just before we come back to Tudge, which we must absolutely do, just to remind you that, uh, that we have a campaign catch-up podcast every day. Um, I addressed some thoughts on this question earlier in the week and uh, we'll be doing that every day, not around media process questions every day, but around issues of the campaign. So if you haven't subscribed to that, make sure you do. Josh, Tudge, hit me with it. Can you remind me of the questions, yes, please? Yes, of course I can. <laughs> yes, I know. We went away there. But anyway, it was, it's important and, and, and thank you all for um, the frankness in that. No, the, the two Tudge questions were, I'll, I'll summarise, uh, can the PM find out about this payout if he wants to? And the second one is, why are taxpayers foot, uh, footing the bill for it? Well, okay, the, the, the PM is an interesting one. I, I, made, I, I did a lot of digging around this this, this week. I, I think legitimately Scott Morrison probably doesn't know about this. Um, and obviously the finance minister, so I'm in Birmingham, he's the finance department you know, minister. He said he didn't know about it either. Like I, I tend to believe that that's true. The question is, did they, you know, decide not to know about this? Did they decline a briefing? Did they what have you? Um, I'm not sure when this will go out, but I'm actually sort of waiting on some responses back from the finance department on that very thing still. Um, 
it is one of these things where it's, you know, in, in this, not maybe not grey area, but there's sort of two competing interests. I mean, you know, this is a private workplace matter between um, a, a person and their employer, which is what it basically boils down to. And, you know, in most instances in the outside politics world, this stuff probably wouldn't be made public. It would be very rightly um, kept private. You know, some of the allegations that were made were, you know, quite serious ones that, that go to, you know, I, I don't think this sort of stuff should be sent out willy-nilly by government departments to people who ask for it, for the information. But the flip side of that, I think, sort of goes to the other part of the question is like, this is a lot of money. This is in excess of $500,000, this payment. Um, when you add on the legal fees that we paid, the, um, the the cost of the Vivian Tom investigation, like this is probably going to get towards, if not maybe exceed, a million dollars. It's a lot of money of taxpayer money, and it's taxpayer money that's being sent at the door on this. Um, I don't think it really passes the sniff test, pub test, whatever you want to call it, to say that, oh, you know, we're not going to say anything. Like it's a million bucks, and this minister, um, you know, maybe, uh, maybe more than one minister mm. has... Um, been been accused of of being a bad boss or yeah. of, of running a you know an office not in the way that they should be running it. Yeah, well, the settlement relates to alleged conduct that occurred in the offices. So yeah, it's not like you know this just fell out of the sky yeah, exactly. on someone, yeah, right? Yeah. So, so I think the second part of the question, or the, the second question of like you know why isn't it a bigger story? I mean, we sort of touched on it a bit earlier of like you know why Albo's gaff sort of dominated the week. I mean, it's this thing where there is a campaign going on and there is limited airtime or column inches or whatever it is. I mean, it, it hasn't really made the TV news too much, I don't think. I mean, Morrison and, and Birmingham have been asked about it in a lot of TV and radio interviews, but their response, and it's a very good dead bat response, is to say that, oh, we don't know about it. It's a, it's a private matter. I've got no oversight on it, da-da-da. And it's you know, unless the PM or the minister makes a comment and says, oh, we know about this, here's the details, X, Y, Z, like it does take a bit of digging and we've been doing the digging and it's yeah. been difficult. Well, and what Josh is describing is basically, I mean, one of the reasons why it disappears is because it's a void mm. unless we can unearth new facts because, yes. you know, the, all of these protagonists are mm. trying to create the void. And, yes. the, and the immediacy, you know, like, like that, on the one hand, you've got a difficult story, versus the immediacy of, oh, Albo stuck his tongue out or Morrison said this or, you know, someone wore a funny hat on the campaign trail. Like it's, you know, again, like back to the competing media interests or the, you know, journalism news cycle and that sort of thing. I mean, you know, there are competing stories and, you know, things are happening on the campaign trail and it's exciting. Like that's part of the equation. Time immemorial that's dynamic. So now, Daniel, last one, you're up. So from Die. Uh, the Liberals talk up their national security credentials, but the, the least port of Darwin to, to Chinese... Uh, the, sorry, the sentence construction is not great here, but anyway, concerns about the least port of Darwin to, to Chinese. They've dropped the ball on the Solomon Islands. They've cut aid. They've ignored climate change in the region. There's uh, made jokes about water, water lapping at doors. They've opened the door to China. Um, Di wonders why is this mismanagement not getting more attention? Yep, it's important. The coalition has been running, sort of pushing a hard sort of national security message. Um, I've heard from coalition MPs on the ground that uh, national security um, is not actually getting as much traction as they might have thought, that the economy and cost of living is definitely what voters are talking about when they're talking to candidates and MPs. So, um, you know, the national security, the tough on national security line that, that Dutton's been running has not really um, captured attention given the cost of living pressures and the economic focus, is what I've been told. Um, 
Solomon Islands is is you know <laughs> it's a massive um, you know the huge Australian government story, is panicking. Isn't it? Like it's a Australian huge government is panicking, story. Yeah. panicking yeah. about this because of what it could lead to down the track in Solomon Islands. Solomon Islands says, you know, don't tell us what to do. We're a sovereign country. It's really insulting to tell us that we don't know what we're entering into or that we're being naive. They they see that as quite insulting. So it's a tricky one. Um, we saw the Minister for the Pacific, Zed Selja, go to Honiara for meetings this week in the middle of a campaign, which is quite mm. unusual. unusual. Uh, it had apparently Labor was consulted ahead of time and gave the go ahead for that trip, given caretaker conventions. But, you know, basically Australia, the US, New Zealand and others are really panicking about this. And, you know, we're talking, we've spoke, talked a lot lately about submarines that might be available possibly by possibly. 2040. Yes, um, if we ever know, get a domestic nu nuclear industry. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And, and, you know, it's fair to say that there are gaps in, in the here and now. And the Pacific Island nations have repeatedly told Australia that our biggest security concern is climate change. This is existential for us. Australia rhetorically has said, we take your concern seriously, but hasn't committed to deep cuts that are what's needed to protect some of these islands. So there's a whole lot of competing things there. Um, uh, the Port of Darwin lease, apparently the review is still a live issue, even though Defence has contributed its part to it. It was the country Liberal Party government in the Northern Territory that granted that 99-year lease, um, continued to be a sore. Um, you know, <laughs> in the last five years, the strategic outlook has deteriorated and that'll continue to be an issue. Yeah, and it's interesting, as you say, if, uh, you know, if that's the record, if that's the observable record, uh, why there was this initial attempt, I suppose, to inject national security into the political contest. But as you I say... I think they saw, they saw it, the coalition saw it as something that they could target Labor over. But um, our listeners could, could observe that in the last five or six weeks, um, Morrison has not repeated things like Manchurian yeah, candidate no. or that Labor's the yeah, Chinese Communist right Party's pick. Mm. Completely backed off that. They're not going to stop saying that Labor cut defence spending and so on. But, you know... It's a sign that that hasn't cut through, that that went a bit too far, there was that institutional pushback, that, that he's dialled that back. Yeah. Anyway, very interesting. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. I want to thank my team. Uh, close listeners uh, may have observed that Amy Ramikis is not amongst us uh, on this episode, but uh, trust us, she will be back. She's back from leave, helming the live blog, obviously, and will be part of these conversations as well. Uh, thank you to you guys. As you can see, the quality of the questions is really outstanding. For all the people who sent questions, and there were, there were loads of you, um, apologies, we can't get to all of them in every episode and we do prefer to limit the numbers so that we can drill into the questions you've asked and give us our give you our best answers so you know thank you keep it coming uh, we'll we'll be back uh, next Saturday with another episode which we'll set up for you online ahead of time you can send us the questions thank you to Miles Martignoni who's the EP of this show thank you to you guys for listening engaging with and caring about politics and your democracy uh, this is you know these are really important periods um, lean in engage look at the substance of things assess your vote carefully it's such a well, what is it precious precious exactly thank you daniel that is exactly what it is so anyway we'll be doing our best to inform you as best we can over the next few weeks see you next saturday
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.